What you are about to hear is the Hashtag Cult Podcast. What is a Hashtag Cult? Hashtag Cults are groups that signal membership by using a hashtag or keyword. This allows the group to operate on many different sites and makes them difficult to pinpoint. They use the hashtag model to spread propaganda on a variety of social media platforms without having a central account. This is usually because their ideas are offensive or their methods of communicating are abusive and border on website policy violations. In this show, we will show you the coercive groups and cults hiding in plain sight on the internet. Take a sip of weak coffee. Ooh. Oh. A dog coffee. Oh, no. Judy, why? Her name is not Judy. I just call her Judy. What? Wait, uh. what? <laughs> the worst her name dog is nickname. Jade. Wait, you Because call- we call her Judy Boots. Okay, Judy Boots, or Boots is cute. Yeah, it's just Judy. I don't know what it is. It's just lately I've been only calling her Judy. It's the lamest nickname for a dog. <laughs> Yeah, you know, but she's she is the weirdest dog I've ever met, and it somehow suits her. I don't um, know. Love her to death. Okay, she is you say one daughter. weird dog story, and I'll tell you the weirdest dog I think I ever met. Hmm. A weird dog story? Well, no, I, I wanted to hear why this dog was weird, Polly. <laughs> oh, You've I ran like, out of time like- <laughs> to do this in the podcast. We're already into the podcast now. You missed your chance to prove your dog is weird. Hi. I'm Mike Fallick. Are you Paulina, and I'm Paulina Pinsky? Pinsky? I don't know yes. if you're Paulina Pinsky because I was told she had a story about how her dog is weird and then she didn't have one. Oh, wow. This is an example of how I tend to overthink things. You know, you could have just the easy. You just you lobbed an underarm, you know, you, 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 you. What's the softball term? I don't know. You know, when they. <laughs> I'm I'm swinging my arm around my room like a softball player. You know how the underarm pitch, right? Isn't that what it's called? It's always underarm in softball. Right. I was you you threw me an underarm pitch and I did not swing. That can't be an expression. <laughs> There's it's no not. way that like Mark Twain was like, and as they said, she threw me an underarm pitch and then I failed to swing at it. You know, it doesn't exactly roll off the tongue. No. I will get back to the page and work on that one. But it was a swing and a miss. There we go. Jeez, there we go. That was what you were going for? <laughs> no. Oh, well, anyway, man. she is Paulina Pinsky, and I am Mike Falcon. and this is Hashtag Cult um, Podcast, where we're doing Welcome. a documentary. Welcome. Please sit down. Take off. Take off your. Take off your. Sh- I'm sorry. I need a vacuum. I should have told you to take off your shoes. But, uh, yeah, we're doing a documentary about a red pill cult called MGTOW. What's MGTOW, Paulina? Men going their own way. Do they have some sort of tenets and beliefs in being an internet cult? 
Why, yes, Mike, they do. They do not believe in cohabitation with women, marriage with women, anything to do with women, quite frankly. And uh, that's because women are hypergamous, meaning that they uh, ultimately are always going to cheat and often only going to look for the better deal when in a relationship with you. So why bother? Why bother, indeed, is their logic. Um, right now, we're going through um, in this podcast we'll be going through our anonymous interviews with some of the members and experts and right now we're talking to a, a guy named code name tom who is an anonymous commenter in our section in our uh one of our video sections where we got hundreds of comments for very less views than that and managed to talk nicely to them and have them on um i will say something that we didn't point out in our matrix episode while we're doing pre-production stuff um is MGTOW's understanding of the internet copyright and publishing is really interesting. Um, the clip we played, and I'll play just the end part here, um, that Tom, Codename Tom is talking about his YouTube channel. In fact, uh, once I get my fucking YouTube back, I'm going to be doing a reading of uh, Catcher in the Rye, and then I'll be doing a reading of, uh, what's it called, an Asimov book. I'm not sure which one yet. Um, uh, yeah, I'm going to start reading books on YouTube. And the clip I've played for everyone is about him reading books on the internet. You're not allowed to just read someone's book and put it on YouTube for free. You know what's so funny? When he said that, I was like, great idea. <laughs> I was like, that sounds like a good time. And I was like, but also, you know, you could just read the book. Uh, but, yeah, that's a really good point. You just, you can't do that. That's not You'd be making money off of someone else's words, and which is yeah. not what, what YouTube is down for. <laughs> or anywhere with publishing ever. And what's interesting about MGTOW and our favorite phrase, which is adaptation and evolution, never intention. That's how a cult evolves. It's They're adapting to the circumstances and doing so usually unhealthily is there's a large logic. I've worked with YouTube people. I've worked with people who have a large, a large following and use the internet. And even in doing commercials, when I do Instagram commercials and stuff, I've done animations and things for people that they want to put on the internet. And I'm like, yeah, you can't do that. They're like, why? I was like, why can't you just use this music? And I was like, it's not your music and you're paying me to do something. I can't work with stuff that I'm not allowed to use that's like right. illegal and not ethical and there is this logic on the internet of like well other people do it it's like oh, 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 okay <laughs> if they oh. do it they're paying for it or they're just doing it illegally and not getting caught like and so there's this example of like you see big YouTubers violate copyright and not get caught you see I know a huge YouTuber who decided they could read Harry Potter on their in the internet page that they could read Harry Potter just read it out loud on the internet and they didn't think there was a copyright problem with that that I don't know if I would want to I mean I guess if I was super into a YouTuber I'm just I, I guess I'm an old person I'm like I can't imagine watching somebody well in read. fairness it was an ASMR channel which is uh, uh, about well that's that's all about the base no trouble making your ears tingle yeah so um still 
it wasn't even like hiding it. It was like, I read Harry Potter cover to cover. You know, like this is this thing with these, with MGTOWs and all these people. They don't know what they're doing wrong. They don't get the internet. They don't get publishing. And so when they make comments and they're like, well, you can't just like, I can just make comments. I have that right. It's like, no, you don't. Like you're li- you you are responsible for what you publish. And mm-hmm. they're just doing what they see other YouTubers doing. And there's a lot of things getting published. A lot of people don't get caught. That doesn't mean it's like the right thing to do. Um, I wanted to throw that out there because we missed it as a pre-production note. But we're going through the interview with Codename Tom. So let's get to going through the clips. Before we actually get started, content warning, uh, abuse, yes. the cycle of abuse, drug use, alcoholism. Um Am I missing anything? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Just content warning for everything. Just if you're if, if you're you miss a, one, I'll throw it in. You know, yeah, if you're if you're feeling tender and delicate and as though you could lightly be triggered, uh, I would not listen. But otherwise, we're here and we're gonna hold your hand and uh, we're we're gonna scoot our way through it. So, I believe we're mostly on your clips at the start here. At 35 minutes, we have this about living in a one-bedroom apartment. That I'm aware of. It's just, you know, four kids and a dad. Uh, you know, and, well, shit, that one was a fucking one-bedroom with a, with one of those pull-out couches. So, like, there really isn't too much to talk about there. He, my dad was never an alcoholic. He still doesn't drink beer. He just makes shit decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's... That, that guy can attribute to just one of those shit decisions, you know. So everyone in the house is sick, and uh, there's only one bathroom. Your kid's obviously jumping around, and you didn't do anything about it until something happened, which, you know, he wasn't happy about and didn't think of a way of fixing any of the situation. Just got kind of upset at, you know, uh, kind I guess his own uh, ineptitude. The whole situation. Yeah. He's an idiot. Like, what, what could I tell you? My dad isn't an, an abusive drug addict. He's a fucking dumbass. You know, people. My mom is a. My mom is. A, my mom is a separate thing where we had like drugs in the house, and she wasn't a drug user. She is. She just didn't care. Yeah, you know, it was interesting. You know, when you think about journalistic. Uh, tactics right you're 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 questioning him to find out more information about him and and i was kind of seeing his profile fill out throughout this interview which was really interesting because obviously with migtows we don't really understand they're they're faceless they're historyless and so to hear about his background uh was really profound um and as you said before he kind of gives out the information as if it's on the way to get to the migtow beliefs and so he's very candid with personal details obviously this is all anonymous so it's not like i can identify him as a person but to hear how he grew up really kind of fills out the fuller picture right who who is the type of person who would have these beliefs and it's a very highly traumatized person Mm -hmm. hold on (laughs) was that a sneeze or a cough it was both the people need to know it was both it was both okay fine don't choose a side Stay on the fence your whole life sneeze coughing. <laughs> sneeze coughing literally roping, so painful. Are you okay? Tight rope and all my way. Yeah, I'm okay. Thank you for asking. Yeah, um, yeah I, I um 
and he kind of goes into back into his dad making quote unquote shit decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it seems as though throughout this interview, he kind of regurgitates the same stories over and over. But every time he tells them new information comes out, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, like specifically when I wrote the one bedroom apartment, I was like, oh, OK, like this is someone who's coming from a broken home. You know, he's he's living in a one bedroom apartment. And he said like four. He has four, three siblings. Yeah, I believe um, he's one of four. Yeah, and so, you know, there's very clearly stressors from a young age for this person. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting, the thing about asking him the same things and, and different stuff come out, because, of course, it's unprocessed, as Paulina has said a lot of times. It's a lot of unprocessed emotions, trauma, and things like that. And I want to try and avoid uh, 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 being backseat psychologist so much, but it's just very interesting to show what he thinks the issue isn't is why we're saying this stuff we're saying this as people who have lots of issues and have all these things and would worry if a friend of ours said this and i do worry about tom and him going through this and i worry about all the people in this investigation even though some of them have done terrible things i i worry that they're that they're ignoring all these things the reason i'm doing this is because i think these people need to stop and need to like get stock of their life but like he doesn't it's so casual and so that's why we sort of sound like back like uh what's it what's it called like armchair psychologist because it's just so casual uh you know i slept in way too small of a place and my mom wasn't in the picture when my dad was and my dad wasn't in the picture when my mom was like it's way too casual but i mean i guess you know aren't we all casual with the details of our lives you know like just because you know we're unfamiliar with it and our our backgrounds are very different from that you know we would be casual about it too to a certain extent um yeah oh oh i don't think that it's because I, I, I'm saying it as a catch-all as to why, like, like the idea of the information coming out. Yeah, I agree. Just the size of the home doesn't, like, concern me in any way. But it's, yeah, mo- yeah. it's more that, like, he's trying to prove he's all together. And at yeah. every turn where we would say, that must have been hard, it, 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 he does recognize it when you say that. But then at the same time, he's like, but I'm over it. You, you know, when, when it sounds like he isn't over it. You know, yeah. it, it, it is a weird way of sharing details. And that's the armchair psychologist element of it. But it's more that we would, we, I think we were saying these things because you and I would think that seems worth mentioning your relationship with starting a family is you don't really view your family as nice. He describes yeah. it as bad. He describes right. it as shitty. He doesn't like it. And so then you're like, okay, do you think that has an effect on you finding this philosophy that's just like exactly what you want to think about the world. Right. Right. Transitioning into that. Let's go to minute 36. When I ask him about, I'm confused. We've talked about this before about the details of the drugs. And I ask him where, where were the drugs in the house? So where were the drugs in the house? in elementary school, when I had to stay with my mom's mom in the hood, uh, in a two-bedroom that had four kids, plus three kids, or plus three teenagers, my older cousins, uh, my grandmother, and her two daughters, all in one two-bedroom apartment in the hood. There were there was drug use there when I, when me and my uh, core uh, nuclear family 
were younger because uh, we had a cousin who had already gone to the Army Reserves. Yeah, and uh, he came back and was just a druggie for sure. He was always, he was always fucking doing drugs and stealing shit, doing drugs and stealing my shit and doing drugs. What drugs? That, yeah, my brother fell into that. He was a meth user and a weed smoker. Mm-hmm. And your mom didn't partake, your siblings didn't partake in methamphetamine? Uh, my older brother did. Uh, I kind of did too when I was punk rocking, but that was as an adult. Uh, so that was that was all one hundred percent, you know, my choice, and um, you know that we had other cousins and aunts too who were also heavy drug users, in and out of jail, that kind of stuff. All that stuff is on my mom's side of the family. My father's side of the family has a, a fair bit of like success and then a lot of mediocrity. It sounds like he was a failure as a father. That doesn't sound like success. You know, you, you no, seem to have raised yourself. Idiot. I didn't say, yeah. You know. I did. That sounds like a huge failure. I think hitting a kid for going to the bathroom is a huge failure. If that's one story off the top of your okay. head, it sounds like he's not a good person. Yeah, I was just... He, uh, he wants to mean well, but doesn't even understand the meaning of that on account of how fucking stupid he is. You know, people with low IQs have low patience. It's one of the reasons we don't interrogate people who are not sound. Because their low IQ will, they get impatient of the situation. You know, and they'll say like, okay, yeah, fine. Whatever, just let me get out of this room. And they're not even listening to you. Uh, there's lots of other situations. Yeah, that sounds like him. It sounds like he would get impatient with you a lot. And that sounds terrible. Yeah. Another thing that low IQ people have is uh, a kind of envy when it comes to someone who's got a higher IQ than they are, or any more aptitude than they do. And I've come across that an endless amount of times and will in the future an endless amount of times. I think having to deal with drugs in the house at all is traumatic, you know? Um, It's... It's I don't know I don't know if this needs to be said, but it's not good for kids to have drugs in the house. Um, yeah, there's some implication that someone was dealing drugs at a certain point as well. That's challenging. Yeah, but it's it goes without saying, but it, it's rough. The point I pull I pulled two points from it. Not being able to say his dad is bad. You know, that's that's a fascinating idea to me. He can't say that his dad did bad, despite the fact that his dad wasn't there. And I, th- I think the later on, I then ask him about IQs in this clip. And I'm using IQ to describe impatient people. And I'm, I'm, I'm not actually talking about his dad, but it sort of shows how they process science. I say, oh, you know, as a side note, I know this thing about people with low IQs and why we don't interrogate them. And like learning this thing from, from true crime documentaries about if you have a problem where you could have a low IQ, you could get impatient. Just bringing it up as a side fact, this idea of low patience and like, like think, thinking that like you just want to get out of the situation. So if you interrogate someone with a low IQ because of whatever other thing, IQs aren't a disorder, <laughs> you know, it's just a litmus test. You could just be like, yeah, I did the crime, but please get out of my face. You could say something like that. Like, okay, whatever, whatever you want me to say, sure, bye. 
you know, that's something that could affect someone with some hiccup in their in their mind. He decides that I'm that I've understood his dad. Yeah, that's interesting. He kind of in- integrates that knowledge very quickly and makes an assertion about his dad and his dad's IQ. Even though it's just a side fact. I, I wasn't I don't know his dad. His dad could be really smart and just all unorganized or he could be an abuser whatever it may be i was just saying this side fact but it shows how they kind of operate with science is that yes you're agreeing with me so i incorporate it and, and we saw that in the intervention when I, when i said you're a stoic and he said yes 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 yes, i'm a stoic and then when i said well you, but you're not a very good stoic and then he said i never said i was a stoic so it, it, it's interesting just to see how they relate with information Mm. And him not being able to say his dad is a bad guy, but somehow he's envious of him because of his high IQ and he's had to deal with that his whole life is interesting that, that that's the twist that happens. And it's, it's subtle and you could miss it. I did. Yeah. I did miss it. I, um, I also think this has to do with, you know, something that I was talking about in the last episode about how, you know, often uh, people will choose one parent to be the good parent, whereas the other one is villainous. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it. even though his dad, you know, very clearly did harm to him, he's still clinging to this idea that he's the redeemable one. Um, this is so interesting. I want to know, maybe, maybe we'll, maybe we got to, I mean, it would be awesome to do like a whole explanation of it, maybe as a short, as a little two minute thing or three minute thing. Cause it's just like, I wonder if it has anything to do with, and you can answer if you know, like, because he mentions later on, I was like, well, your dad wasn't there, right? So it's like, we see that sometimes with their confirmation bias too. So I didn't associate Mm. it with this abuse thing. I associated it with how they do confirmation bias, which is like, women think this of me because they don't interact with women. It proves itself. Mm. So I sort of saw it as that, but this is an interesting angle to it as well, that his dad isn't there. So he's the good guy because there's Mm -hmm. nothing to prove he's the bad guy. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, I wonder if that works into it. Do you know if that's like a thing that like a confirmation bias in, in making one the the hero? I mean, I don't have like scientific evidence or mm-hmm. a, a study specifically in mind, but like, you know, I think it's a kind of a common narrative that specifically the parent who isn't there is often shrouded in a different light than the parent that is there mm-hmm. because the parent that is there is also like the discipliner. And, you know, in this case, and you know, I can't speak to yeah. his mom specifically, but like, you know, you're, you're the one you're more familiar with. And if the one that you're more familiar with is, is not treating you well, the other one is going to seem better. If I can cite, Again, surprisingly, in this series, Boy Meets World, (laughs) Sean's dad was not around. And Sean had built up all these stories about his dad. And so perhaps the real psychology was in all of us all along. (laughs) At 37 minutes, meth. Uh, We had a cousin who had already gone to the Army Reserves. Yeah, and uh, he came back and was just a druggie for sure. He was always, he was always fucking doing drugs and stealing shit, doing drugs and stealing my shit and doing drugs. What drugs? That, yeah, my brother fell into that. He was a meth user and a weed smoker. Mm-hmm. And 
your mom didn't partake, your siblings didn't partake in methamphetamine? Uh, my older brother did. Uh, I kind of did too when I was punk rocking, but that was as an adult. Uh, so that was, that was all 100%, you know, my choice. So, yeah, pretty scary stuff, huh? Yeah. You know, there's a comedian named Jessa Reed who, this is a little off topic, but it's a little bit of brevity. Uh, she has a story about uh, drinking her own pee because she realized that your body doesn't process meth. And so it would store in her pee. And she had like the craziest drug experiences of her life. But obviously, like, who wants to drink their pee, you know? Um, <laughs> meth is, meth makes you do things like drink your own pee. I don't mean to laugh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, she it's it's meant to be funny. I mean, she is a brilliant comedian. I really recommend everybody to go look her up. She's sober now. She's no longer doing meth, but she talks a lot about doing meth and the the way it kind of, you know, she was acquainted with aliens and, you know, lost all her teeth and, you know. Meth is meth is no joke, but she makes jokes about it. I mean, it's it's just and then he says of course that he does it at some point right when he was punk rocking rocking, which we we get to those stories later about him um him punk rocking and all those different things uh but yeah it's not it's casual to him and i think that uh before we go on more about it let's play this clip um at 39 about um just we'll just listen to this clip um but i would say your parents are equally to blame and bad but you seem to be giving your dad a pass is there any reason for that uh, a pass no it's just that my mom was worse your mom was worse so what were the worst abuses from your mom i mean the methamphetamine in a household with kids is enough but is that the most traumatic element of it no, man, the real worst part was that she decided that uh, she could mother four kids on her own with the help of the government and totally fucked over my dad in the process. She divorced him. She probably cheated on him and then divorced him in order to protect her own. It's, uh, you know, this is this is when we got into the female nature aspect, the stuff that the... I assumed you were doing the MGTOW things. My bad. I, I have to... I should probably ask how you, uh, how I found your damn video in the first place. But, uh... One of the stuff about, like, uh, men going their own way, that tag on YouTube, that website, uh, and other stuff like that, it talks a lot about the way women think versus the way men think. And a lot of my mom's decisions fall more than in line with it. She vaulted over, like, the goal. She was she, she fucking, you know, let's say, like, regular women is just, like, driving through a finish line and then, like, oh, this is what a woman is. My mom had a ramp. And fucking, you know, like a, like a daredevil, like, fucking did a backflip over the finish line. Like, oh, damn, my mom's fucking crazy. She's a crazy bitch who had all of these negative aspects of hypergamy and uh, unchecked. It was just unchecked. She'd, nobody checked her on her bullshit ever. So every bad decision that she ever made was felt by her kids immediately, when whoever was with her. And, uh... You know, no one ever got to call her on her bullshit. Is your mother still alive? When I did alive? try to call her on her bullshit. 
yeah, when I did try to call her on her bullshit, my father would come by and check me because of, you know, he, 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 the image has to be a certain way. And I wasn't fitting the image. And for him, the image is, don't you ever uh, criticize your mom. Probably because if I criticize my mom, it might seem like I would be able to criticize his mom. And nobody fucks with grandma. And that's still, that rule still stands. Nobody fucks with grandma. Uh, but, you know. It, it, it sounds he, like he a just wouldn't get it. fairly bad pair, your two parents. It sounds like each had bad oh. coping mechanisms. <laughs> and they, you seem to be the best yeah. thing to come out of them. I you guess. Know, you're, 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 you seem like a nice guy. I, I think you can be proud of your progress in life. And that came from the two of them. At the very least, you're alive. And that's well, great. We, we've already established that I have a toxic personality. So, you know, don't, don't count too many of those blessings. Well, there's, everyone makes mistakes. It's really the people that can't admit them that are the, the most harmful to this world. This, this is the, the, the MGTOW brainwashing coming out. So finally, it's about women. Finally, I'm pushing him. Why is mom bad? Finally, I'm pushing him. And he doesn't really realize that we're about to get into it. He doesn't realize the foundation and evidence that we've laid in, but he lays in this whole pretty succinctly said thing about how women behave in the world and why his dad couldn't possibly be a bad person and his mom is. And this is the stuff that I think people don't hear about MGTOW. This is not about being single. This is not about being single. It's about scapegoating your trauma. And this is a point that we'll get to in another episode, but I'm going to skip it to here. This is the power of hashtag cults. I'm actually going to play a clip that you haven't seen, uh, that you didn't write down right now so we can talk about this. But, mm -hmm. and you don't need to, it's for the listeners. What I do is, you know, reflect on it and be like, oh shit, what the fuck is all that? And then hit my dad up like, hey, were you sabotaging me? You motherfucking bitch. Uh, so maybe that was the treatment too, just confronting uh, what the fuck the problem was. Tried doing the same thing with my mom. She just laughed it off because women don't accept account, or women will never accept any. So your father has apologized to you. Fuck no. So then, how has your father <laughs> taken responsibility, and your mother hasn't? I never said my father did. So I'm not really sure what the difference is between their responses. Your father hasn't apologized for what he does. The response is, it, it, it's, 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 uh, the, the values are different. The input values are different. My father's uh, input wasn't the same as my mother's input. So my mother's input has more gain, more volume, and is just beefier. And my father's input is more of like a, kind of like a, a beat in the background that's wrong. So if you want to put it in like rock and roll terms with amps and shit mm -hmm. like that. Your father was so around like, less though. Um, yeah, of course. So, when you have the population of virtually the entire, you know, technology-connected world on the internet, cold reading is way easier. You actually can cold read yourself in the age of MGTOW. What do you mean by cold reading? So, cold reading 
is the art of either saying generalities in order to sound uh, psychics use it, intuitive, mentalists do it, um, people who, cult leaders often do it too, um, this thing of, I say something, and it connects to you, but it's non-specific, but a good cold reader makes it feel super specific. A good cold mm-hmm. reader makes it sound like, I get you, I understand you, I've in- I, I, I get who you are, but it's not, it's general, you know, um, the, the the activity that I often do is, you know, read a different horoscope tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> read the wrong sign and see if it connects with you. Um, they're, they're, the, the art of cold reading is very difficult. And it's, it's a great skill for both uh, the well-intentioned and the scam artist, you know, the confidence man, to say something to you when you have one person. Whether it's someone you're, you're, you're trying to give wisdom to or a mark in the case of the confidence man, it's hard because you could say something and someone could be like, nah, and that's it. You're out. But on the internet, you can cold read yourself. Here's a theory that exists which says that women get rid of men because they want a better situation and they end up screwing everything up. It just exists on the internet. It's just there. And now you're codenamed Tom and you start to research why you're unhappy in your life and why you don't understand relationships and people and family. And here's a theory which says it's not your dad's fault. It's your mom who was mean to you, who had to raise you, who did use resources from the government, who, you know, was trying to get a better home for kids, but maybe wasn't emotionally dealing with it. Well, here's a theory that says, oh, you're not. You didn't have a bad childhood. You were the victim of this vast conspiracy. You cold read yourself. None of the points actually connect, but you just find it. It relates to you. Boom. You can keep going until you find a hashtag cult that fits you when you don't actually deal with the trauma, as Paulina said. You can just keep going. Keep going until you find a theory that takes all the blame off of you and puts it onto someone else. You can just go until you find one. And if we keep letting hashtag cults grow, that's what happens. He, he just, he finds it. This is women. It's this women. It's my mom's fault because she was around and she was a bad mother and she probably manipulated my dad who didn't take the red pill. And that's the explanation. Great. Moving on. They don't even have to cold read you one-on-one. You do all the recruiting for them in a hashtag cult. You're worn down. You're emotionally drained. You've had this bad childhood. You're having frustrations in life. You can't st- stay in a relationship probably because you have all this drama. Who can blame you? And you just find a theory that makes that says to you it's okay to make it go all away because it's way too complicated. You were just stupid back then. You didn't get it. Oof. Yeah. One of us should make a chuckle. <laughs> I should make a joke. Um. Well, uh, you want to hear by my dog's weird? <laughs> Finally, she's dodging the questions, guys. Let's hear it. Why is you name your weirdest dog story, and I'll and I'll tell you. Oh, okay. So I've we also met cap- a weird dog, so I'll see if mine's better. Okay. Okay, we went camping this weekend. 
and everything went wrong. <laughs> Truly everything went wrong. First night, we can't get the fire started. I had a panic attack about coronavirus. The next day, we try to find a campsite. They're all taken, full of people. We find a camp spot off a mountain. It's at a 45 degree incline. We're sliding off our mat. <laughs> I know the device. Sleeping pads all night. Next day, we need to get water. We have to hike up three miles of a hill to get water. We have no water. We find the water. We get down. We get back to camp. And all of a sudden, I see a black bear. Okay. <laughs> and my dad, before I left, was like, you guys should get bear spray. And we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We went to REI. And they were like, oh, we don't have any more bear spray. So we didn't have bear spray. And little Miss Jade starts going off on this bear. Just Aww. like, oh, 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 oh. And the, the bear honestly looked so startled. And it ran away. <laughs> Jade truly, I mean, that isn't like, that was more about telling you that I saw a black yeah, bear. Yeah, yeah. But Jade truly gives no fucks. She was like, oh, bear, you're fucking there? No, you're not. Get the fuck away. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we got scared, packed up in the dark, and slept in my car that night. <laughs> <laughs> I met a dog that was, like, emotionally void of intelligence. Uh, it was the weirdest dog I've ever met. It would just, like, sit, like, in the hot sun and not move. It was a black dog. It would just sit in the hot sun. And I'd be like, should someone get that dog out of the sun? And, like, the, the people who were the guardian of it were like, nah, she loves that. She just goes out there and sits on the tarmac and gets fried for a few hours. Like, okay. <laughs> and, 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 then, and then, like, I was trying to, like, interact with the dog more. I was like, oh, let's play. And, like, the dog would, like, this was a young dog, too. It would, like, stand up. I would, like, throw something to it. Walk over to the thing. And like sit next to the toy and not play with it. And then you think, okay, maybe the dog doesn't like me. And someone would throw it back towards you. It would walk towards you, sit, and just be near the toy. That's a pretty weird dog. It had no fun in it. That's the whole point of dog. That's so sad. No rowdy in it. Okay. Let's get to our last clip, which is at 45.55. This story about he reads English. Uh, before the age of five. What I can tell you is that since I was able to uh, read in English before kindergarten, uh, I've always been very analytical, very, uh, not visual, but uh, the, the int- I, I intake information extremely fast. So when something bothers me, I try to be as accurate as possible mm. about what is it that's bothering me. So, why do you think he mentions this detail of reading English? Intelligence, I'm assuming. Well, like, why? Let's, let's, I'm trying to get you into the, MGTA, the, the mindset of understanding a hashtag Colton. Really, the whole point of this interview with Tom is to show you how someone who, who, who is really in a bad way gets taken advantage of and given this new bad habit that does fix some of the problems in the sense that they have new problems. So... What, what, what do you, what do you, why do you think he says this out loud? Why do you think a MGTOW would tell me in this, this clip about he's always been very, very intelligent in seeing details and that he, he read English before the age of five? I mean, is it about genetic superiority? Hmm. I mean... That that that's 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 an interesting idea that he's a guy and he has I mean that's 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 along the, the, the right lines. But but 
it's more it's more to do with how he scapegoats in general um he's saying this as a part of his rationalization in the hashtag cult he's trying to prove to me i was so smart at simultaneously he was tricked he's always been rational He's always he's got to prove to me, oh, I've always been smart. I've always seen these things. But at the same time, this conspiracy was so grand that I wasn't smart enough yet. And it's mm. this cycle of things getting bigger. We talked about it in another episode. This cycle of it has to be bigger than the last thing. That's how a hashtag cult really focuses and the self-brainwashing works. He was already really smart. Obviously, you are because you've seen the light now. But you were also tricked. Ah, now I'm smarter. So now it's got a bigger boogeyman. So now the pain kind of goes away because uh, it was such a big boogeyman that even I, who was so smart, I couldn't conquer it. But now I'm smarter. But I was also, so now I'm super smart. And he gets tricked again. And it's his arms race. And it keeps building up and building up and building up. And a lot of our cult experts talk about this is not just distinct to a hashtag cult this next part but this idea that you constantly if you scapegoat you constantly need it to get bigger you're constantly looking for new things you're constantly like it needs to be worse and worse and worse and worse and worse for you to keep getting that feeling it's not actually resolving itself so you were smart as a kid ah and then this conspiracy tricked me i've gotten smarter the conspiracy is getting worse it's getting so much worse. Okay, now I'm a soldier. I'm online. I'm telling people about this and I'm converting them, but we're not converting everyone. Okay, now I'm enlightened. I'm fully here, but but it's useless and I shouldn't interact with women and I should just give up. Mm. And then from there, who knows how it gets worse? We've seen red pill cults be pretty violent. We've seen Chris Hassan get close to being pretty violent and get worse on MGTOW wasn't violent but he was he was drifting he was really affect his, his, his mind was really going in a bad place while on MGTOW and they never saw anything they accepted him as <laughs> the stuff that he was getting worse you know you see other red pill people doing pretty violent things so this enlightenment they claim to have that they understand the world it doesn't sustain itself and that's the scapegoating and that's the yelling and that's a pretty typical behavior of cults. The self-brainwashing is what's different about a hashtag cult. The self, the pushing yourself to not understand it, the, 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 the indoctrination that fits with you, the, the cold reading based on SEO and just searching things, that's what's distinct to the hashtag cult. But scapegoating and needing the scapegoating to get worse, to explain everything and the stakes to get higher, that's not, that's not new to, hash, to hashtag cults or cults in general. So mm. that seems really benign. I read English before I was, you know, five, which is not untypical. You, you know, it, it isn't. But there's lots of kids that do it. If they have a parent that tries to teach them to read at home, kids, kids are capable and you can learn to read whenever. But um, it's, it's part of it. It has, to be a, it has to be an interesting story. It has to be about him. He's the antihero, as you said, or the hero. But we just don't get it yet, is really how he sees it. I actually am the hero. You're just stupid. And you're a sheep. And you don't really, you haven't taken the red pill. So you don't, you don't get it. I read before I was five. Like a large amount of kids do. But I did it. And it still tricked me. Oh, 
it gets exhausting. Um, but next episode, we're going to do something fun. What is it? You'll have to tune in. Meanwhile, Paulina, what was the first book you read? Ever? Yeah. I'm going to say the first book I read is the first one I remember, which means it's not the first book I read. But let's do, let's do that. Cheese Man. Yeah, let's do the first book we remember then. I like that. Because I know like childhood, you know, stories wise, which was the first book. But uh, uh, yeah, I don't remember reading it at the time. Yeah. It's the Stinky, the stinky cheese, cheese Man. What's man? it about? Yeah. It's basically a a version of the Gingerbread Man. Oh my God. But he's made out of stinky cheese. How did I not read this book? It's an amazing, amazing book. I think it's called The Stinky Cheese Man. I'm going to look that up. I'm trying to think what the first book I read was. I would say it's probably one of the mary kate and ashley mysteries amazing i'd say that because that was big when we were when we were kids and then they had the books too of it i would say that's definitely trying to remember i don't know i read a lot of them i read a bunch of them but i don't remember i think it was the one where they're dressed up like indiana jones on the front that's amazing I that makes me like you more. Oh, <laughs> that's a fun moment to end on. Do you? Can we talk about how the greatest moment in cinematic history is the John Lithgow and Gingerbread Man doing the Muffin Man in a interrogation dialogue in Shrek? <laughs> it is pretty damn good. I will. I'll give you that. The Muffin Man. The Muffin Man. Oh, so perfect. Think of a better moment in movies. I can't. Okay. I don't think I can. You have to. Um, when Bambi's mom dies. Ugh. All right, hot take. I don't like Bambi. <laughs> I don't remember Bambi. It's a but pretty movie, but like, oh, I don't care. All of the Disney stuff, like before 1960s, like, oh, we just talk like this, and this is a forest, and then that's it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen the Disney movie, the Disney animation about like menstruation? Excuse me? Yeah, you... No, I have you not. You goss to Google that. <laughs> you goss to Google. They're um, like... It's like an educational film. Now, I don't... I've never looked into whether or not Disney actually made it. I know that you can look up... It is a film from the time. I know a big studio made it. I know that if you Google Disney menstruation animation... The Story of Menstruation, 1946. There you go. Oh, I will be watching that. And listen, for Paulina's Twitter, she's not on Twitter now, but she'll somehow, through her psychic energy, just tweet out into the world because of her reaction. I will. I'm squeezing my eyes shut (laughs) and just mentally tweeted. Oh, no. You mentally Snapchatted. I'm sorry. No. You got really close, but you mentally Snapchatted. That's fine. Damn yeah. it. Just don't mentally Pinterest. Oh, That's God, the no. dark place. All right. <laughs> See you next time. I'm going to stop. Do you feel as though you've treated your PTSD? Uh, I don't know if there's any treating it, man. Oh, there's plenty and of Especially treatment. mine, so deeply rooted. I, I, I think it's just like my personality at this point. I mean, I, I can tell you from people I know with PTSD, I can tell you from what I've read out of love for those people with PTSD, they are so different in those moments in which they feel back in that place. And to judge their personality based on an uh, outburst or 
any sort of thing happening in their body caused by this mental, horrible mental, uh, you know, disease, condition, whatever you want to call it. To judge them by those moments is terrible. And right now, I, I think you're a lovely person. I think you've owned up to any mistakes you've made. And it's more than most people I can, more than they can say for most people I meet. Um, I wouldn't judge your personality as being someone with PTSD. If you or someone you know has experienced a hashtag cult, is trapped in a hashtag cult, or you have been affected by any group mentioned in this show, go to hashtagcult.org for resources or to get in touch with the show. We want to hear your story. 